I'm a competitive person, but you know, I never had my hand out. I had my hand up volunteering for things. And I mean, I'd take on anything. I think that regardless of the company or the business that people in leadership positions are always going to go to the people that provide the least amount of resistance and the most help. Welcome to the Land Department Podcast. The state of land and energy as we see it. Steve, you get uh, you get to spend a lot of time with me the past week or two. We've been recording and re-recording podcasts. Uh, but this is one that you wanted to have on, Russell Shaw, a mentor of yours. And I wanted to ask, what kind of impact has he had on your career? Uh yeah, Russell, Russell started the Eastern States office for Dudley, what, Russell, about 20 years ago? <laughs> 2006. Close enough, yeah. yeah. But uh, was was my mentor as I was coming through the Dudley management program uh, until his retirement. And I thought he'd be a very interesting guest just from his uh, history in the business, uh, how he got there. And then he just can't seem to retire. So uh, he's got his, his hands in some new things right now. And I thought it'd be a good opportunity for... Uh, him to talk about that, but he is yeah. Russ Paw to me. Um, miss him a lot and uh, taught us a lot. Walked me through a lot of uh, mistakes and how to become better as a manager. So really happy to have him. Yeah, Russell, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you're kind of like Michael Jordan, just like going out of retirement, coming back in. You might retire again, come back in. Who knows? Playing some baseball here and there. Yeah. <laughs> the goat. There we go. Well, uh, why don't you share with listeners what you're up to these days? Well, um, currently I'm working with American Abstract in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And um, it, interestingly enough, of all the areas where there's BLM offices, only the BLM office in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico actually has abstract companies that provide title information to the industry. And there were three here, the Federal Abstract, and then Shoots Abstract, and then American Abstract was started by a group of investors who I happen to uh, be pretty good friends with, one of them. And they bought Shoots Abstract, and um, they continue to do business like they have for you know, the last 30 years, same work product and everything else. So they've brought me on to update the work product and uh, try to get uh, our operations in order here so that we can uh, handle the workload that we have. And uh, that was kind of interesting, the contact that I have, and Steve's heard me tell P.D. Sam's stories, was his son, Lurcy, and he's the head of the investor group. He'd been after me for a while, and so I finally said, well, if I do this, these are the changes that are going to take place, and they said, come on. So it's been a, a really interesting challenge, and I have a great team of people here that I'm working with. Very interesting. So I want to jump back all the way to your start as a professional, and it wasn't in the land industry. What did you do out of college? I graduated from the University of Arkansas with a degree in architecture. I went back to Oklahoma City, which is where I grew up and uh, was starving to death as an intern architect. And I was running into guys that I went to high school and college with that lived out at the country club and driving nice cars and said, so what are you guys doing? Well, we're in the oil business. So I thought I'd check that out. 
And I was thinking about going back to school and getting a degree in geology. And I have, a, I have an uncle that was a geologist in Calgary. And I had a cousin that worked for a broker in Edmond, Oklahoma. And he said, well, before you go back to school, uh, the guy that I work for is willing to take you on and train you if you want to try that first. And uh, <clears throat> so I said, well, let me get this straight. So what my job's going to be is, and I'll preface this by saying, you know, it's growing up, I did a lot of hunting in Western Oklahoma with my dad. So, so what my job's going to be is driving around to counties in Western Oklahoma, going to the courthouse, determining who owns the minerals and trying to give these people money. Yeah. And then you're going to pay me mileage and my lodging and for my meals to go do this. And he said, yeah, I go, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a sweet deal. Yeah. I mean, it kind of turned out for me, I think, that uh, what was going to uh, – I was going to have a successful career in a business where I could really take advantage of my interpersonal skills, and that's, you know, that's what the land business afforded me. Don't let him lie too much to you, uh, Khalil. He, uh, <laughs> his house-building skills are fairly amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The one in Oklahoma was was. I mean, if he could build it again someday, uh, I'll I'll take it. And now he has a project. Where was going that at, on. Russell? Where did you say? Where in Oklahoma was that house built? It was in Edmond. In Edmond. Okay. Tell yeah. maybe describe to us from an architect's perspective what you did to the house. I'd love to hear a little bit more. Well, it it was kind of a a Texas Hill Country type of a thing, and then what we wanted. One, the interior was a refined rustic. And so that's what we had. You know, we had a lot of exposed beams and details that, uh, that, were, that were rustic in nature. And uh, so I worked with one of the guys I went to architecture school with it and that uh, helped me design the house. And people say, well, why didn't you just do it all yourself? I said, because I wanted a good one. So I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but so you still Steve, have the eyes. Yeah, Steve Blair, Edmond, Oklahoma. He's one of the best residential architects there that there is in Oklahoma. Okay, yeah. I'll keep that in mind. I'm down in Norman, Oklahoma, so uh, yeah, keep that in mind if I if I make it there one day. Uh, yeah, so you still have this eye for architecture. You got started in the land industry through a, a friend's uh, father. Uh, how did you get into Dudley? What, what where did that come into play? Well, so I, I'm after about two or three years. As a field land man, I opened my own brokerage and did, I mean, probably at my height, I was running 15 or 20 guys. I never was very big. And um, after that, I teamed up with uh, two or three different geologists over a period of time, and we put together drilling deals. And, uh, and so that meant the next 10 or 15 years, you're always right in the middle of starving to death. I think we drilled 19 straight dr dry holes before we finally... <laughs> made a discovery <laughs> and um, so, but the industry began to change. So now, you know, horizontal drilling is, uh, is coming on and what's required uh, of brokers, you know, is to have software system and cartographers, at least records and that type of a thing. I didn't have any of that. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go to work for somebody that's got it figured out. And, uh, uh, my wife is a land tech and was working for 
a small company there in Oklahoma City, and the land man there said, you know, Dudley Land Company's looking for people. And so I faxed my resume over there, and I got a call from Tom Havenstripe before the second page got through. So <laughs> I, I didn't realize how bad they were hurting for people that knew what they were doing. <laughs> wow. And what was your first role at Dudley? Uh, I started out as a field land man, and uh, once they found out I could do the really bad HBP nasty work. That's all I got. That's all <laughs> I got. And, um, but <clears throat> I, I was really enjoying myself cause it'd been a while since I'd just been a field land man. And it was great. You go to the courthouse, get your work done. Nobody's messing with you. And, uh, I had a friend, uh, Marty bird, who was, uh, at the time was a land manager one of the land managers for Chesapeake. And he said, well, why don't you get your resume over here and uh, let's see what we can do. Well, his secretary was Tom Havenstride's wife. <laughs> and uh, Tom and I had developed a pretty good relationship, even at Dudley Land Company, even though I was just a field land man over there. And Heidi told him that she saw my resume on Marty's desk. I'm pretty sure this is how it went. And next thing I know, I'm talking to him about being a prospect manager at Dudley Land Company. Gotcha. And that's the role you took on? That's the role I took on. Yeah. I did that for two years. And then when they uh, decided they wanted to expand into Eastern States, they offered me a, a, a partnership arrangement if I would uh, help them open the Eastern States office. Yeah. And that's really your first step into basically being a VP at that point, opening up the Pennsylvania offices, right? Yeah, I actually was the area manager at that okay. point. Okay. Yeah. What were the challenges coming into to Pittsburgh? Had you ever been in the area? Uh, what, what was it like? Well, we started out in Charleston, West Virginia. Okay. And uh, um, what, what it was a lot different than, you know, the area, the mid and the West where I'd worked before. Uh, they didn't have the Jeffersonian system. It was all parcels and the shape of tracks was determined by, you know, ridge tops and creeks and roads and that type of thing. So it was really interesting. The other thing was that the uh, information was harder to get at. That I mean, the counties there didn't maintain tract indices. The other big challenge we had was we had a pretty sophisticated uh, software system that Tom Dudley had developed, and now we needed to figure out how to uh, make changes to that so they could handle title in Eastern states. And I'm not sure we've ever successfully got that done. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was like, you think you get it figured out and now it, it, even in the same state and now we're in another County and the original patents that went out, didn't even follow the shape of the parcels that exist today. I mean, it was just crazy, <clears throat> but uh, th those were the challenges. And, you know, the other thing was we were dealing with mineral owners that were not sophisticated people, you know, in Oklahoma and Texas, people know what the deal is. And, uh, we had problems, you know, from time to time as a result of the fact we were dealing with folks that, uh, were unfamiliar with the process. Mm. And how did you grow that office? What, what was that like? How did, how big did you get it to when it, before you left Dudley? Well, you know, we don't talk about the, the number of contractors that we run, but 
uh, I'll tell you this. I mean, the, the model that we thought that we needed for that to work uh, ended, ended up being seven times bigger than that. Oh, wow. And that was because we had some really good people that we brought on. And I mean, I can't talk about Eastern States without talking about Alan and Jane Foudy. And uh, the three of us were the ones that basically got that started. And yeah. then we had you know, the good fortune over time to have young men like Steve, you know, come to work for us. And then, you know, Brandon Ward, another owner of Dudley Land Company, you know, moved out there and was working with Steve. And I just had a, we had a great team and everybody got along good at, at the management level. I mean, running a lot of contractors, you have a lot of problems we're dealing with all the time, but uh, we, just, we all just tackle that as a team. Yeah. Steve, what are some of the biggest lessons that you learned from, from Russell when you got your start at Dudley? I'll be honest, it's, it's mostly the interpersonal skills. <clears throat> Russell saw me have a few bouts with some people in the office from time to time. And I think <laughs> most, most people who know me now, they'll know how stubborn I was back then. Uh, also, I was very unorganized. Um, I think there was one time Russell walked in and I had about 500 post-it notes on my wall. And he looked at me and went, the hell are you doing? So... <laughs> um, Took, for, took from that, hey, it, it might be time to find a way to organize your life. And luckily, I've turned that around. So, uh, But the, the, the people aspect and coming from the field, you know, it, Russell's right. You, you were kind of left out by your, by your own. Um, you had some guidance from a crew chief. And, but mostly it was, hey, we need this by this time. There was not many. There wasn't the relationship aspect. So the relationship forming, building, and realizing that those people that you're forming these relationships with need to become your friends, your lifelong friends, and which turn into lifelong clients, uh, as well as just the, the way to treat other people, people who work with you, uh, work for Dudley Land Company. You know, in, in the end of the day, we're a people business. So Russell and I have always, I think from day one, hit it off. Um, very lucky for his mentorship and just being able to pick up the phone at any given time of a day, give him a shout. Do you have a minute that turns into an hour and a half? That kind of thing. <laughs> and so you had mentioned, Steve, earlier, the uh, the Dudley Land Management Program for managers. Uh, Russell, is that something that you ran? Um, I did for Eastern States. Yeah. So what was your focus with that program and what were you trying to accomplish? Well, this is something that Tom Havenstride and I put together because uh, we continued to have situations and we had and we had a couple of them in Eastern States where, you know, we'd take somebody that was, had advanced to the point of being a crew chief out in the field that was doing a good job. And then you just throw them into becoming a, a, a prospect manager or project manager, you know, uh, sink or swim. And so we came up with a process for that we could bring people along on this instead of just, you know, uh, finding out whether or not they'd make it. Because, I mean, that was, uh, there was a lot of negative things that happened to Dudley Land Company when we had a manager that, that didn't make it. And I'm, I'm responsible for, you know, a couple of people's failure, I think, by the way that I handled that. And that was that, you know, I took somebody that was great at something and then put them in a position, you know, where they, they failed. And mm -hmm. so, and, and that, that wasn't the only office that that had happened in. So anyway... 
Tom Havens Triton, I came up with a program on that. And we had a, you know, a period of time that people did different things. And I think it worked out. It worked out really good. And, you know, with Steve, I can, I can remember with Steve, I thought this is kind of funny. I hope Steve does. <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, it was basically the two base main people in the office were Tom. I mean, were Alan Fowdy and I, and Steve would be on the list to promote and he'd be off the list to be back on the list. <laughs> and, you know, uh, that was the case with most of the young people and all three of the people that now own the company. Cause I mean, I saw them all grow up. Right. And it was interesting, you know, you're thinking, I don't know about this guy. And then next thing you know, they're married and have kids and they're responsible. And yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're all my kids. And, uh, one of the things that makes me feel that, I mean, that I'm really proud of is the, the way that the three of those advanced and the fact that I still get phone calls from them, you know? Yeah. So sometimes about business and sometimes about just catching up. You know, I want to go back to the program itself, Khalil. What he hasn't told yeah. you is it's literally the prequel to the Hunger Games. <laughs> <laughs> I remember oh, Alan uh, had an event because he lived down in Charleston, and he, there was about five of us, I think, that were on the short list, if you want to call it. And he invited us all, and we're all standing out there. And it's like, what are we supposed to do? What is, what, what is this right now? <clears throat> so I was fortunate that I, I think I was the one that came out of that five. Wow. You, you killed everybody else and you made it to the correct. Yeah. Games. Yep. The, the bell rang a few times. <laughs> the bell rang. <laughs> Goodness, man. That's, that's, that really says a lot about you, Russell. I think the fact that you're still getting calls from the, you know, Brent, Brandon and Steve about life, about business, but especially the guys that you took through this program have now put themselves in a place of ownership with Dudley and are leading the company. Um, it's, it's always, you know, you always look at like coaching trees in the NFL and how everybody kind of leads back to somebody in many ways, you're kind of at the top of that tree in many respects. So, uh, we're really fortunate to, to be able to talk to you. I want to, you know, we've talked about this management program. I want to hear more about what makes a good PM. Like, what is it that allows them to, su to succeed in their role, to continue on for years and years and years? What do you really emphasize during that management program? Well, you know, one of the, the discussions that I had with everybody that became a prospect manager, you know, on the, in the area that I worked is that there's going to be a time, and I don't know how fast it's going to happen for you, where you're going to wonder whether or not you should be doing this or not, and um, at which, which included me. And then what, what I tell them is once you realize that nothing ever goes good, you're going to be fine. I mean, if it weren't problems, you know, uh, Dudley and Havenstrite wouldn't be paying our salaries. And so once you realize that, then it's, then you learn how to, you know, manage issues. There's always going to be issues. And I always, you know, told the, the people that I work for, they're typically not as bad as you think they are. So before you do anything, sit down with Russ Paul and let's, <laughs> let's figure out, you know, what our next move is on this. Yeah. Uh, Steve, what are some of the things that you really took to heart during that management program about being a PM? I think it, it guides you and teaches you the, the aspects that you really don't learn in the field. Um, 
and like Russell, I mean, I was supposed to be an elementary school teacher, so I, I had no clue that I was going to be in a management role whatsoever. But um, everybody's different underneath you and who works with you. So you can't go in with an all-in-one attitude. Uh, I think I did that at the beginning. Um, you have to learn to delegate and trust. It's a, it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing for some of our current managers that they struggle with. But you have to find people that you know you trust. Um, you have to pay them, and you have to have to let some things go. Uh, other than that, really, it's it, it's all about how how you want to build yourself. You know, there's there's some folks who can manage 150 people. There's some folks who are more comfortable with 20. It's it's really you know case by case basis, but um, it's 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 a long path to get to. I think being a very good manager and it takes a lot of mistakes. Um, but Russell's right. You have to realize that most of those mistakes are not the end of the world and you have to find solutions and better ways forward from them instead of you know, coming down on yourself. Cause they're, they're going to happen daily, weekly. Yeah. Roll with the punches. And, and that's why those interpersonal skills come back as well, because people are going to make mistakes and you've got to be able to look at it as a situation and not a person. Um, and as soon as you start attacking a person, you may end a relationship and not be able to solve a problem. But when you're able to approach it as a problem that you can solve and be quick on your toes, uh, you can really move forward in a, in a positive manner. So I'd like to, you know, there's, there's project managers out there that are probably listening to this podcast. I'd like for them to maybe understand, uh, as you know, you're an executive now, Steve and Russell, you were a VP as well. Uh, what are some of the things that project managers, prospect managers need to understand about that VP role, that person that's just above them, about how they can make their job easier, about what how they can think like a VP? Well, uh, for me, it is, I just don't like surprises. You know, so I, whenever there's a problem, I want to know about it as soon as it starts. And uh, whenever that happens, I mean, the the more people you can get on board and coming up with a solution, uh, the better off you're going to be. I think I hear a lot of times that folks are scared of the people above them. And if you have that situation at the, the place you're at right now, it it's not going to get better, right? It, it, the team aspect is something that Russell really honed in on at the beginning, you know, uh, yearly quarterly meetings with everyone retreats. Um, you have to be able to rely on, the people above you, just as the people above you need to be able to rely on you. So open door policies, really clear lines of communication. There is no stupid question, right? Those kind of thoughts. And, and I'm just going to, since he brought that up, throw this in there. You know, one of the things I learned from my dad was who he and his brother had an architecture firm in Oklahoma City, was that if you ever blow up at people and raise your voice at people and give them the idea that uh, you're unreasonable, then you've kind of let them off the hook for trying to please you because you can't be pleased. And one of the things that I hope that I've passed on to the people that worked under me, that, that that's how I work. I think Steve would tell you, you know, never any of that from Russell Shaw. Just come talk to us and we'll just figure out, you know, where to go next. And for those listeners out there who I may have done that to about 10 or 12 years ago, <laughs> I want you to know that I've learned from those mistakes and I apologize. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Uh, 
So, you know, it was, you know, you could have gone to Chesapeake, like you said, Russell, you could have maybe stayed as just a field land man, but you got this opportunity to work inside of Dudley uh, as an area manager, VP. What are some of the things about your experience at Dudley that shaped your perspective on the industry? And even moving forward to where you are today at American Abstract, how has that allowed you to see, see the industry the way you see it? So what happened for me at Dudley Land Company is, and, and I think this is that Steve would, and Brandon and Brent would all agree with this as well, is you get into an organization like that and you want to uh, advance. I mean, I'm a competitive person, but, you know, I never had my hand out. I had my hand up volunteering for things. And I mean, I'd take on anything. And uh, I think that regardless of the company or the business, that people in leadership positions are always going to go to the people that provide the least amount of resistance and the most help. And, you know, did, does that kind of answer the question? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I sure saw that work for me, you know, at Dudley Land Company. And I was also fortunate. I was working for you know, Tom Dudley and uh, Tom Havenstride and those guys know, always did what they said they did. And had they had my back, I didn't have to worry about that. And we were, had the kind of relationship where I knew, you know, when people needed to be, the next level needed to be brought in on something. And because they didn't like surprises either. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So your retirement, what led you to that point? What was the plan? Obviously plans are meant to change. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, had scheduled to retire in 2017, June of 2017. And the industry had gotten to, it was in a pretty bad shape by about the first of the year in 2016. And, um, it didn't really, you know, it didn't look like it was going to really make sense for me to, to stay on. And so I ended up exiting a year early. Uh, the reason that I uh, never got into any kind of discussion with an ownership track with uh, Dudley Land Company was because of my age. It's a relationship-based industry. And uh, most of the people that I had relationships with, you know, dating back to 1980 were exiting the business. And it's time for the next group of, of uh, landmen uh, that would be building relationships with these in-house guys and, and able to uh, get work and that type of thing. So that's what led me to that. But I found out pretty quickly, well, I told everybody, well, I'm not going to have any problem with figuring out how to, you know, screw off all day. Well, <laughs> I did. I did have a problem. <laughs> and so uh, I opened up an office in Santa Fe, uh, about seven or eight months after I retired and did some stuff. I mean, just worked for different things. I was really fortunate. Just things just kind of kept falling in my lap that were pretty significant projects, done a lot of stuff for Dudley Land Company um, over the years since that time, uh, kind of partnered on some things. So I stayed involved with them. And then this American Abstract opportunity came up and um, which you can't have a better setup than someone asking you to come in and 
get something organized and fix it and move it forward. And, and that's what I'm doing here. And I'm thinking it's a, a three or four year, you know, commitment on my part to do this. Will I be ready to retire then? I don't know. And <laughs> the, I mean, located in Santa Fe and, um, Working didn't keep me from doing anything else that I want to do, you know, mm. fishing, horseback riding, hiking, that type of thing. There seems to be plenty of time for that and this. So, Russell, uh, just a, a personal question. How many times have you thrown away a set of golf clubs? So are we back in the saddle? I, I no, I quit. <laughs> I quit. I quit. You're smarter than us. Yeah, the guys that I was playing with said, you can't quit playing golf. And I said, I'm going to show you how to do it. Now, here's the problem, though. It costs $2,000 to quit because that's how much it costs to get set up with fly fishing equipment. Mm. Ah. Yeah. But uh, I have played a couple of times since I quit. And the most recent one was, um, I think it was in October. And I had one of the best rounds of golf I've ever played. So I said, sign me up again. For 2026. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Just need a little break between rounds, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, New Mexico is one of the most beautiful places. I think it's overlooked oftentimes. Uh, but love, love that part of the, the country. I love going to Taos too in the summer. It's amazing. Um, well, there's so much that we've we've gotten from you today, Russell. We appreciate you sharing on your background and all the experience that you've had in the industry, you know, to wrap up today, I'd love to, you know, as you're potentially closing out, maybe you'll keep going after three to four more years, but what is your, you know, foresight into the future for the land industry? How are things changing and where do you see them going? Well, um, you know, I think from just a field lands kind of standpoint that, uh, most of the I don't anticipate any more large land grabs that took place, you know, you know, that started back in, you know, the 2006, you know, 2007 on the shale plays that have taken place across the United States. And um, so going forward, what it's going to be, uh, I mean, the land work continues to get uh, right. more difficult because of the number of transactions and, and things that take place. I mean, um, I can only imagine what some of the areas are that I worked most recently when I was in the field in 2004. I mean, a section of land might have, uh, some of them had over 2000 documents filed against them that you had to examine to produce an ownership report. Well, that's probably doubled since that time. So there's always going to be a, a need for uh, field landman with respect to the oil and gas business, uh, access to records and things have, uh, have reduced a lot uh, the need for people to go to courthouses and do that type of thing, which is unfortunate because that was one of my favorite parts. I can, I remember when I first got started in the land business, working in the Oklahoma Panhandle on Fridays, the gals at the courthouse, you know, would set out lunch. I mean, we brought in an ice cream freezer and froze ice cream. And I mean, it was, you knew everybody there and when you needed some from the county clerk you call them up well, oh yeah russell hang on a minute i'll look that up for you you know that that type of thing so the the personal aspect of that has kind of gone away but um you know now it's expanding into other areas uh, like renewables and 
there's a lot of work that takes place out there that requires the skills of landmen that you see uh, these brokerage companies getting involved now, you know, and renewables is one of them. I mean, there's highways, railroads, transmission lines, or just all sorts of things that require the skills of a, a field landman. So I kind of think that's, that's where it's headed with respect to field work. And record keeping has gotten a lot better than it was, you know, years ago. But um, I did, I watched the Dudley uh, podcast and uh, I thought he did a really good job with that. And one of the things that, that he thought was still important was relationships and uh, being active in, you know, your, your local and national associations. And I agree with that. And I've told anybody that came to work for me when I was working at Dudley Land Company, I said, your five closest friends, if three of them aren't landmen, you're going to have a difficult time making a career out of this. <laughs> I think Steve would tell you, I mean, my closest friends with the exception of maybe one person are all landmen. Yeah. I think that was some of the best advice you had. I mean, I, I'm still involved with that golf uh, outing every year with the MLBC and, you know, just that one deal was really where I started meeting everyone from the base and, and starting to form those relationships. And it's, it's kind of neat now, you know, I've been in it for almost 17 years, but you have friends who you go on golf trips with and uh, vacation with their family, stay overnight at their house. If you're in town, uh, you might've yep. only worked together for six months, eight years, who knows, but I mean, it's, it's lifelong friendships. It's a rewarding yeah. part of the industry. Absolutely. Yeah. Great rewards of the, of the industry. Russell, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. And I know this is an episode that people like Steve, Brent, Brandon will cherish, but so many others in the industry that you've had an impact on. So thank you for all that you've done for the industry, for the individuals that have been a part of Dudley Land and beyond. And uh, we're excited to to maybe have you again on some time, maybe with Tom Dudley, maybe with someone else that's a veteran. And we'll talk about some some good topics. But yeah, again, thank you for your time, Russell. Well, that's great. It was a really honor for me to have Steve set this up. Yeah. Love you, Russ Thanks Paul. Thanks so much for including me. You bet. Love you too, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care. Okay. Thanks for listening to The Land Department. Check out our website in the show notes or visit dudley-land.com to learn more about us.